the, on the creativity stuff, I mean, creativity goes through ups and downs of crappiness. I think hip hop is at an all time low right now. Um, it might as well have been, been made by AI for the last five or six years. Five or six? <laughs> I, I think we can go a little bit farther back. Hey everyone, welcome to Good Guys Getting Better. I'm Christian Hanley. And I'm Martin. No, Larry. All right, guys, welcome to the, the pod. Your first time on here. I mean, it's only the second episode, so why would it not be? Um, how are you guys doing today? Doing pretty good. Pretty good. I, I can't complain. I'm here and I'm talking to you guys, so sounds nice. Great. And most importantly, the day's over and you're not at work anymore, right? So, winning. Yeah. Well, go ahead. No, no, I agree. Uh, I'm always at work, but yes. Yeah. But that's most of us these days. It's kind of the problem. Yes. But speaking of work, uh, Larry, I kind of wanted to start with you here because um, I don't know if you know this, but um, American workers have just kind of had it finally, and uh, we're seeing strikes like we haven't seen in forever in this country right now. Um, and for folks listening who don't know, Larry's experience in labor goes back to what? When you were still a student, I think, right? Uh, you've yeah. been it since the since the beginning. So what are you making of this latest strike? Uh, we already have the, the Writers Guild, the Actors Guild. Now we've got the Auto Workers of America. Um, what's your read on it right now? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of interesting stories coming out of that, like... Uh... With the actors, uh, Drew Barrymore started production um, on filming her show, and a lot of people were pissed off about that. In yeah. the labor world, we call that, you know, being a scab. And so I'm pretty sure she's not familiar with the history of the labor movement or why you would want to uh, shut down your production in solidarity, but that's a pretty basic thing. But it kind of yeah, shows yeah. the, I think, disconnect between um, some of the more privileged folks who might be getting being represented by a union and the folks who are really relying on this for their um, for their daily bread, so to speak. Um, yeah. Then we also have the UAW strike, which is one of the biggest strikes in, in recent memory. Um, thousands of workers involved in this. I, I saw a really crazy number. I don't want to quote it, though, because I might get it wrong. But <laughs> no I, I thought I saw 20,000 workers, but I could be wrong about that. And it's three different companies um, that are facing this strike. So there was a conversation um, with the uh, one of the company heads and they asked them about you know, them making uh, $3 million a year on their salary. And you know, should they make that amount of money versus the employees? And the executive gave some answers about the fact that they do, uh, their compensation is connected to how well the company does and that there is some profit sharing for the employees as well. Um, and so, you know, having been an executive uh, at various organizations, they're nonprofits, not for-profit organizations, and they're progressive organizations. Having been a union president, I definitely understand where the workers are coming from, but yeah. then the compensation question, I think, I don't really support the gotcha questions, right? I think sometimes it's like, why do you make this much, but do you really want the answer, or are you just trying to make a point, right? <laughs> right, right, that's, right. That's kind of my thing, is like, you know, let's really, if we're going to talk about it, let's really break this down, and then compare executive compensation between this organization and other organizations. Is it in line with those other compensation pack, uh, packages, or is there a problem with the overall compensation packages for executives across the board, and should that be tied to the, the pay that these workers get? I mean, these are legitimate questions to have, but I just don't think that the media these days really 
tries hard to have those conversations in a legitimate way. That's that's what I've been yeah. doing. Well, I mean, I had a colleague or actually a former colleague uh, share something the other day on, on social media. Maybe it was just yesterday, in fact, that um, one of the CEOs interviewed on one of the Sunday morning talk shows. They, they crunched the numbers very roughly. And basically, the compensation that that CEO got for those few moments on national TV was equal to what, in an, uh, you know, a rank and file union member employee at one of their plants would make, I think, like all month or all year. I mean, it was something absolutely absurd because these some of these CEOs are making not just, you know, millions of dollars, but tens of millions. And at the same time, they're saying their companies are all but broke. And that and my favorite, I don't know if you heard this one, because there are European and other car makers that now produce for the North American market by operating here in the U.S. They actually build things like Toyotas in Texas, right, and, and Mercedes in, in South Carolina and elsewhere. Uh, say, now they're saying, oh, if we were to go union, and, right, and you actually, or they are unionized, but if we're going to actually ascend to the, the union's demands and increase compensation, that would put us at a disadvantage if we would go out of business because of these other companies being in place. And for people who, who follow these, you know, these labor news stories, we know that actually – when workers, American workers at these foreign-owned plants in the South wanted to unionize, their employers were fine with it. They were going to be unionized. Mercedes in particular was okay with that. And it was Southern Republican lawmakers who intervened and tried to stop and actually did stop that unionizing effort at those U.S.-based foreign plants. So what do you think about that? Just kind of like the, I mean, I know this is kind of like the week of hypocrisy here right now, but like, what do you think about that, that side of it? About the Republican lawmakers stopping one, well, not just, one compensation. Just the whole idea that okay, you know, if we if we give you the compensation that you need to take care of your family with today's cost of living, while you're out there, you know, on the assembly line, like it'll make us go bankrupt. But meanwhile, mm-hmm. we're paying someone, you know, twenty five, twenty million dollars a year to go to the office. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think that any union that goes into negotiations should be able to make a strong argument for why their employees deserve to get paid better wages separate from what executives are making because whether or not the value of the executive is being played out correctly that's really the job of the board or maybe even the investors at the end of the day right the the union really doesn't i mean they can morally say that your pay should be more in line with the workers but they don't have a real uh, legal right to demand that, you know, I mean, they can push for public pressure. And in fact, right. a lot of compensation packages were reduced uh, on Wall Street and elsewhere back in the 2008 era uh, when the crashes happened, right? Um, but a lot of that is cursory because they're still getting stock and things like that. Um, but with that said, I mean, if I'm a union leader in this situation, I should be making the strongest argument that the performance of the company and that the uh, value that the workers bring and then this, uh, you know, these things are important and, and make sense for why, for the lifetime of that contract or contracts, the national agreement, um, their wages should be increased. Um, and then I think the third part of that is being able to show that it won't make an impact on the bottom line. And in fact, that it is in line with their ability to give wage increases to those workers. When you start getting into a conversation about what the executive makes, I question, you know, how good is your argument, you know? Right, right. And I mean, don't get me wrong, if somebody is, is earning the money or they're bringing value, I'm not saying that, you know, we as outsiders get to dictate what that compensation should be, but it just kind of like, 
it's it's a little bit galling when you're talking about someone who is not contributing to the product that the company actually derives a profit from going out and saying oh we can't afford this well what are you making uh, you know what half a town in the midwest makes <laughs> combined like that's what i'm making right now sitting here you know what i mean like that there's sort of that that disconnect um martin i know you're not you know in in this movement professionally anyway but you know you've been seeing the headlines too what's your take uh i find it actually to be quite interesting just from a perspective of <clears throat> i mean my my background and uh family wise is my dad was always he was in the plumbers union and the um mm-hmm. And uh, I, I saw these things, but I don't really recall there being as many strikes of this level during yeah. a short period of time as I have in the past uh, year or so. You know, between uh, you know, your UPS is obviously your um, your Screen Actors Guild, things like that. Uh, and I find it quite interesting where this is also occurring during a time where inflation happens to be at a really interesting point in time where people are like, hey, my dollar yeah. really isn't going quite as far, so I need to request more. And I think, and, and I could be wrong. This is one of my my fledgling thought processes is, and being somewhat of a, of a business owner is like, all right, I have to bring up my prices because all these other businesses are also bringing up my prices for, for good. So let's just say, uh, in my case, because I... I, I use a um our my company is a, is a transportation company the the vehicle costs are exponentially more so like this has a direct impact on me because many of the vehicles are, are mm-hmm. usually american vehicles so um a suburban from four years ago is somewhere between uh 20 and in some cases like 35 percent more mm-hmm. for that vehicle now so i don't know whether or not that particular percentages are also going to be shared across the organization. Um, and I think the other part of it is, is people after being locked down for that period of time uh, are looking for a little bit more of a life work-life balance. And I think that's one of their fights, if I do recall, um, or, or one of their areas where they want to work 32 hours, which sounds very wild to me. I don't know what 32 hours looks like personally, <laughs> but uh, I see where they're coming from, but at the mm-hmm. same time, being a business owner, I, I do understand where the company is. Listen, this is what I can do because of X, Y, and Z. Their their manufacturing and material costs that have, you know, definitely increased over these. Years. I mean, listen, I mean, people people see things, or at least at least in my estimation, people that are just the consumers of the end product don't necessarily understand all the materials that are needed to, to manufacture this one little doodad or a car for that matter. So if you start adding up all those costs and all those costs start coming up, I mean, remember when eggs were like, what, $20, <laughs> you know, for, for a yeah. dozen, it's like, all right, well, there was a shortage and Right, but I mean, like, just to push back a little bit, though, I mean, one of the big costs that that these major corporations have to consider that a small business does not 
is what is going back to shareholders, right? Like what what are they what are they spending on things like stock buybacks? What are they spending on showing that value to these these shareholders who maybe they they pitched in beforehand, but they're not literally contributing to they're not they're not giving an input to the final product, right? I, I understand the point about needing to you know purchase sheet metal, needing to contract with other companies that produce other component parts, needing to you know take into account labor costs. Um, but but what about that? It, 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 th- I think that's a huge difference between sort of large corporate America versus small businesses that they love to sort of blur that line between the two and kind of get sympathy among Americans who own their own mom and pop shop. But at the end of the day, what they're doing is reinvesting less in their people and their product and giving more back to shareholders, right? I mean, yeah, in a way they, they are. Um, I mean, again, like like you pointed out, you know, as a small as a smaller business, more of your focus is is going back and reinvesting into your organization. And that means, um, you know, back into the people that, you know, who are providing you the service in this case, or the manufacturing the goods that you're trying to produce. So, you know, on that particular case, I do, I do respectfully understand where you're coming from, and I do. Uh, but when it comes down to shareholders, again, I'm not I'm not in that area of shareholders and having to a P shareholders to some level of, but, you know, ultimately this is, again, my company is not, uh, you know, uh, you know, on, on the NASDAQ or anything like that. I don't have an IPO on my <laughs> not, own. Business. Not yet anyway. Not yet. But, um, you know, it's different when you're, you have people that have invested into your brand mm-hmm. and are trying to get essentially we'll call it passive income out of potentially smart, investment opportunities Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the difference again you pointed it out quite clearly that the difference between you know small business and large business and again they try to blur that Mm -hmm. and kind of in saying that is it's it is a it is a really gray area where they try to play on the sympathy of everyday men i was like hey listen you know i'm i'm for listen i make the f-150 I'm for the I'm for the workers of America, and you're just <laughs> right. you're sitting there like, wait a minute, but I'm about to pay seventy five grand for your pickup truck, that's probably <laughs> never going to see a grain of dirt in its lifetime, but ultimately I want to I want to build off of that brand. Now again, there are margins that are probably amazing that we could never imagine on all these pieces of of material. Again, you're talking about thirty percent more than what you're paying, you know, before. I can only imagine what the prices are, but I can only imagine what they're getting that material for and the markup on it. So I get yeah. what you're saying on that because that's the part where I get like, yeah. I get frustrated. Like, okay, come on now, like, you know, we make, you know, steel every single day. There's steel being made at this very moment everywhere, somewhere right. in the world. Like, mm-hmm. we can't find this other type of steel somewhere else. Like, you know, where they talk about you know outsourcing all different types of materials like you know you can get steel from anywhere you can get you know japanese steel or i mean some people may not necessarily want you know uh, steel from china or anything like that but um well but, no it's 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 made by wage slaves instead of you know american <laughs> exactly. union labor yeah but i mean but but i mean 
like and Larry, feel free to jump in here. But I mean, what about that? I mean, I, I hear about the the increase in costs since the pandemic and supply chains supply chains, excuse me, breaking down. But this idea about quote unquote inflation, it's like okay, well, there's there's been the inflation issue not just in the U.S. but around the world, and the U.S. is doing better than than most countries right now at this moment. But how much of it I have to wonder is really inflation versus how much of it is a few small actors in these markets that are really not free. They're they're very um, they concentrated, if you will, between only a few different firms who are basically price setting. I mean, you, you go to the just going away from automobiles for a second and looking at the grocery store, you go in there and it's like, oh, okay, so now to feed like one adult, it's gone from being whatever, 75 bucks a week to 175 bucks a week or whatever it is, depending on where you live in the country. Like, come on. I get it. In certain moments, like when things really broke down during the pandemic and chains were disrupted, fine. But like right now, why, why is it dozen eggs seven dollars? I mean, my the way I look at it is okay. You know, there there was the the inflation reason, but now it's sort of become an excuse. It's like okay, well now people have expected these inflated prices. Let's as corporations ride that wave and keep charging them. I mean, I think there's something to that, honestly. I'm not an economist um, by trade, but I mean, the. I think we can see that there is some price manipulation going on, um, and uh, I mean, I can't tell me <laughs> this is nothing to do with price manipulation. But I can't tell you how many times I've been at the store with my wife and I'm like, right, oh, that's my point. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, literally, and I feel old. I literally remember when a can of soda was fifty cents. I mean, maybe I'm. We're talking about a piece of aluminum and some liquid. Like, but but that was in Hartford, know? not like DC um, or LA, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, this was Arizona actually. But I remember I remember when uh, when you could go to the store and spend a hundred bucks at the grocery yeah. store and get a full basket worth of stuff and yeah. be good for like a week. Now a hundred bucks barely fills up that little cover mm -hmm. at the top of the basket. Yeah, you know. You better be buying. You better not be at a. You better be at Trader Joe's or something. Don't get me started of, uh, on groceries. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I don't know. I, I think the reason we probably got onto the inflation conversation was just like the value of the dollar and what workers are getting. One thing I will say is we all know uh, that worker, the share of income going to workers, has just not increased in like the last forever, maybe sixty years or something. like Nineteen seventy-three, but by most counts, yeah, yeah, it's been like right. fifty years. Well, yeah, you know the exact year and. You know, but I mean, uh, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but uh, wait, you know, wages have not increased. And then, you know, right after I think the, the COVID period, which was a lot of free money, money was cheap. And now we're in this high inflation area. Who would have thought? It's very interesting to look back at it and think that the Republicans were the ones saying inflation is terrible. Inflation is terrible. And we kind of walked right into there. Now they can say we were right. Yeah. In reality, yeah. it's not just about uh, you know the government spending a lot of money because it was it was Trump, it was Republicans who had to spend to get us out of that COVID economic dump, right? Um, but it's more than just spending money that puts you in a situation like this. It's the fact that we have an economy that's reliant on a certain amount of unemployment uh, for it to be functioning properly. And so now mm -hmm. you have the guy that came out a few weeks ago. Who said you know workers are basically too spoiled and you know we need them to oh yeah and look I'll, I'll be the first one to admit that generation z people have a completely different view of what it means to work than people from just the millennial generation right i'm not going to touch on that 
that dynamite right now. <laughs> Too late. Um, you just did. You just, you just brought it up. <laughs> well, look. I mean, look. When you grew up, if, for you to have grown up in a generation of kids where they see people getting rich off of TikTok and YouTube, yeah. why would I yeah. want to work either? Why would I want to be in an office either? But right, I do think right. we need some sort of balance. I think things are definitely off balance. I'm not going to sit here and say workers are lazy. I don't think workers were ever making what they were supposed to. But when somebody can essentially make a million dollars a month barking on TikTok, um, and then a guy who's been wait is that a real is that a real thing? Are you serious? It's a real thing. I mean, there was a, there's a girl who basically blew up. <laughs> wait, uh, wait, 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 stop! So somebody made a million. I, I, yeah, we gotta look this up. We gotta. We go, yeah, yeah. Where is this from? Uh, let's barking, see. huh? Barking for a million dollars? What? Barking, barking <laughs> is one of the things she does. But here's, it's, it's here's like. Oh no! I was gonna say like later. Like here's the here's the funny part about YouTube, and uh, <laughs> the amount of effort that it actually takes to make a YouTube video requires. Hear me out, guys. Okay. Work. It requires a lot of work to do the editing, to have all the sound correct. To do... Thank you. Yes, it requires Thank you. a lot was, of work. I was going to take some umbrage at that because a lot of what my job is, like at an actual firm, a real agency, is editing, sound editing, video editing, scripting, like all that stuff. It just happens to be at the 21st century. We use YouTube as a platform instead of like, you know, plastic cassettes or broadcast or whatever else it would have been before. But like, I'm like, all right, let's, let's, let's ease up on the, uh, the, the AV team a little bit here. But, but the thing is, I'm not talking about YouTube. I'm talking about TikTok. I'm talking yeah, about yeah. people who, you know, are in sweats and a t-shirt and basically make noises for 20 minutes and all of a sudden they have 60,000 followers and they're making millions of dollars in donations off of essentially, you know, a little dance. And this is this is a thing. I mean, I, I know I sound like an old guy right now, but like this is how Generation Z feels like they should be paid. And it, in a lot of cases they are getting, and look, I'm not hating on that if you're savvy enough to do that, but that's not realistic as a long-term career in my view. And so, you know, what what, what is their option though coming out of an economy where Everybody says there's so many jobs, but really, there's only jobs in certain sectors, and nobody's really replying to job ads. There's a lot of fake ads out there, you know? I mean, I just want to say this. I, I know there's a lot of bullshit out there. I, I get that, but uh, I'm not seeing this million dollars for barking story on, on TikTok here. I'm, I'm scrolling, man. I, I'm, I, might need to, I might need to call BS. I might need to call fake news here. <laughs> it's, not, it's not barking. It's uh, basically you get, you get prompts. And the prompts, you know, oh, okay. subscribe can tell you to bark. They can tell you to, you know, do different oh, things. Okay. And, okay. What is this like? Some OnlyFans type of thing? Like you're <laughs> this girl, this girl Sorry. Is from OnlyFans, actually. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, no, the prompt thing makes sense because I mean, I'm you know, an an old fart now myself, and I just I I don't get TikTok. I mean, I, I do on some level get it. I just. Because and you know Martin, I know you get this being in in your industry, but I uh, just who owns TikTok, the involvement of the CCP, I just refuse to have it on my personal devices. Um, but like, I do wonder these trends, like they're so synchronized, right? They're so perfectly lined up and timed that like the idea of there being prompts actually kind of makes sense to me. It's like, okay, how else does everybody else get on the same page? At the same time, you do the same stupid gimmick, right? What is? You're gonna what have to allow this? me. Can you see this? 
Yes. It's it's starting to load. I, I don't see. Okay, Larry's screen. It's loading. What do we got? What do we got? It's not showing me what you're doing. I can't see it. What is it? I see it, but I just don't hear anything. Oh, there we go. What the heck? It, uh, here's my other commentary. Like, okay, now, you know, I'm I'm not gonna be the old fart that's gonna like sit here and no, do it, do it. We are. Let's own our old fartness, okay? All right, let's just let's just do it. <laughs> let's just do it. I I, I sit here. Because it, it, it kind of goes back to this whole thing. Have you, have you ever seen these? Wait, like, can, uh, can we agree I wasn't bullshitting? Can no. We okay, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. I mean, it just it's. You gotta understand. You gotta understand. I, you know, like you, I'm a real ass adult. I have shit to do during the day and a kid to raise. For I don't. This was the biggest news in the entire world. Everybody was like, "Who is this woman?" And why is she making hundreds of thousands of dollars per hour to bark on TikTok? Well, but that's that's the thing, though. That's why I kind of can't even get into sort of the uh, these damn kids, Gen Z. Like, I can't even go there because honestly, man, I, and you know this. I mean, you've worked in labor. Like you, <laughs> you get what I'm about to say. Like when you spend years doing work for you know whatever in the public interest for labor unions for. Um, Anything else really of value that's going to help other people, like, yes, you get that reward. You also get fine lines and white hairs prematurely and get really exhausted and don't get a lot of money. And I'm just saying, if somebody if somebody were to give me $100,000 this week to bark into my smartphone, I might just do it. Actually, I, I would do it. What is what is this reward you speak of? Okay, <laughs> you have to deny yourself for a little bit. I mean, for thirty years or so. Exactly. I'm halfway there. I'm halfway there. Just another decade. You have to. That it has to be literal blood, sweat, and tears, right? You know, no, it's not until I'm. I'm sorry. Go it's ahead. not until I'm literally an invalid that I get my reward. But look, <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be really biased here and just say I think the older generation has a lot of issues with change and will literally cock block you until they can no longer cock block. And the newer generation is just like screw you, old people. I have movies on my phone, right? Like literally, like I think that the, our generation that's just in the middle is like perfect because we know how to use the technology, but it's not everything for us. Correct. Whereas, right. Whereas I think with older folks, I get it. It's hard to learn some new stuff, but that doesn't mean you should stop younger people from getting positions of leadership because you don't understand it and value. So I'm not saying that that girl that I just showed right. you doesn't have value, but I don't think that she should be making what she's making when I know those UAW workers. Are oh, of course not. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, the UAW but, workers are going to make you a car that you're going to then drive for five, ten years. She's making a video clip. I totally get that. But I also, I, I can't let this one thing slide. Um, you said literally at least once or twice there. I want to know what elderly person has literally cocked blocked you. I, I can see figuratively, but like I don't, you know, you're married now. I don't know. What you know? What maybe we should let this, this part just kind of let's go. I meant that, that. that figuratively. Let me correct. <laughs> so, so you're one of those people. You're one of those. That's why they have to change the Oxford English Dictionary to like the definition of literally, also meaning figuratively. Figuratively. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna work on that. I think that's one of those things. Is 
you got to be really particular when you're using words like literally, but, you know, figuratively <laughs> cock blocking and, you know, 15, like I said, 15 years of seeing people who need technology, mm-hmm. basically ignore technology, pretend it doesn't exist. Right. It's the same old thing because it's comfortable. There's people who still use Outlook. I have to for my I job, guess. unfortunately. Yeah, it's terrible. I guess my case. It's, it's Microsoft 360. I mean, what do you... It's awful. I'm sorry, but in, in 2023, no, it does not work. In 2023, if I want to find some crap in any folder, I should be able to go into a search bar and say, somebody said something, boom, there's the email from three months ago. I go into Outlook, I can like, I can type in the subject line I remember, or the recipient, or the sender, and it will be like, we don't know, sorry. Like, my free Gmail is better than that. What what Outlook are you guys using? Because every Outlook that I use, it's perfectly fine. What do you mean? What it's Microsoft, man. <laughs> Which other one is there? <laughs> like I, again, you might have to talk to your own IT people, and they need to get fired, or they need to get some other training. <laughs> because if they can't, if you can't do a regular search for a even a even a, 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 a just a term somewhere in that in that email, then you have to talk to your IT team and figure it's... out why it's not in there. Nope. Nope. I I can I can find something better manually by just like going back and remembering like what time frame I received or sent something than actually searching through Outlook because Outlook uh, is from 1994 and should not, not still not be quite used at work. 1994. That was no, not quite. You're talking early 2000s. Outlook came out. Okay, so maybe okay, so maybe the time I was talking about was like Lotus and WordPerfect, but I was within shooting distance. All right, that was close. close enough. <laughs> you're close. I get, I get what you're saying. See, that's that's the that's the payback I get for for teasing Larry about uh, literally being cock blocked by a senior citizen. <laughs> you know, he had Lotus. Great, he did have Lotus nodes, and there's a couple of them, uh, Nortels, and all those type of. Things. It was neat. You know, it, 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 here's the thing: is even talking about this type of technology. We have we we have the privilege, like Larry said, we have the the privilege of seeing technology before it was actually technology. Yeah, yeah. And we like we had that opportunity to see to actually, you know, for for what I think is actually having a childhood. Yeah. What I mean by having a childhood, which is going outside. Yes. And playing and socializing yeah. with your friends, we were yeah. kind of on that cutting edge, that that knife's edge of, I can just stay home and play. And play video games, but in a way, my friends still have to come over, so I still have to be social. Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah. don't now, kids. I mean, I look at my nephews and my nieces, and it's sometimes no like just, there's no there's no reason to go outside. Yeah, and yeah. Um, yeah. you know, well, also too, like you know, just the the relative scarcity and expense back then. I mean, yes, yeah. technology was already ubiquitous. I mean, that we're not that old, but. The fact still remained, you had to be in a household where your parents could afford a one to $2,000 setup with a CPU, a monitor, a keyboard, mouse, all of that, have to want to have it in the household, right, and had to give you permission to use it. Now, I mean, like, the cheapest Amazon tablet you can give a kid is, what, 50 bucks in today's dollars? I mean, it's, you can't even compare those two realities. And the thing is, the quality of, the, of these products is actually significantly better than what you saw, like, out of the... The NES and the Nintendo systems. Well, the quality is actually is actually significantly better. I, yeah. However, I agree now with that. It's, go ahead. I agree with the quality comment, but 
I also compare that to the cartoons, right? Even though the cartoons look better, they're not actually more entertaining. They're just like, <laughs> it's like 10 trillion more pixels, but no storyline, or it's very adult. Yeah. So like, right? Yes. We had yes. Shrek. I mean, we had Even so many Mickey. cartoons. Oh my God. All of it, all of it is just very adult now. And I'm even to the point where I'm blushing. Like, you know, this is like intense. So I, I kind of mm-hmm. wish for my own sake, we could go back to that last generation of, of kid movies where the graphics weren't that good, but it was really freaking hilarious, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's true though. Cause I mean, I, so obviously having a kid in third grade, I've got most of the streaming platforms on the TV downstairs and it's like, yeah, I, like Disney plus all those things. I mean, these movies, they'll come out, and they are two, two and a half, three hours long. And, I mean, he wouldn't get this reference, but people our age would. To me, it's like watching a screensaver. It's a whole <laughs> bunch of, of digital animation. It's, it's computer graphics. It's computer-generated animations, right, with, like, piss-poor writing with no character development. And I'm sitting there going, like, we've gone very rarely to actual theaters because right there was the pandemic at first and there was just no way to do it then it wasn't really practical and then it was like well everything's streaming now it's not really worth it but there's been a few times he's wanted to go my son has wanted to go and see a movie in person on the huge screen and i go and you know you're not supposed to take your phone out and scroll on that because of the glow it disrupts other other customers but i feel compelled to like pull up news articles and just read them while he watches the crap, because I just, I can't, I can't even, I, I've literally, I think it's been two movies recently, I've started nodding off during the action sequences while he's watching it. It's just like, you know, a bunch of noise and crap in your face, and I'm like, all right, I'll just snooze for a minute. <laughs> it's, it's both that for me, and also the fact that I feel like I can't watch it and relax. There's always a message being kind of shoved down my throat, mm, which I yeah. feel that way about more movies now, right? And it's, yeah. it's not the message yeah. that bothers me because the, the movies had messages when we were a kid. It's just very clunky. And it's yeah. very like, they don't try to, they, they get a message and try to weave a story around it instead of the vice versa, right? Yeah. Like Lion yeah. King was a great message, right? Yeah. But it, it didn't feel like something was being shoved down my throat. But with the kids movies now, it's just like, yeah. So, so I, I, I definitely agree with that. I, 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 prefaced, uh, I prefaced this as saying I, you know, I have no, no issues with anything. But, you know, my, my wife had pointed out something to me, and she was like, I, I can't really allow for my son to, like, you know, listen or watch these type of uh, programs. It was some Disney, it was, it was mm-hmm. a Mickey Mouse-related thing. Yeah. And um, she's like, yeah, they, they routinely use, um, you know, like the, the word gay, but in context. Not mm-hmm. in, like, as happy. And, like, you know, I was like, oh, what do you mean, like, happy gay? Like, okay, it's fine. That's normal, right? And she's like, no, like, they used it in you know contemporary context and i was like wow i mean this is you know you're you're talking about uh, uh a kindergartner you know i was like there's a I, I understand that people have the right to teach their kids this is me again i'm going down a curmudgeon uh kind of uh, tangent here but like I, I i don't i don't necessarily feel like that's something that society should have to tell my my child you know it's you 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 have an opportunity this is not being you know biased or anything like that but there is a, i mean it a, is but yeah. go ahead i mean you've you can be biased it's a free country but you yeah. know you're, you're putting it out there publicly right now yeah i have like i said i have no problem but i, I really want to be able to say um and and i allow for my allow for my son to have that 
that unique and unbiased view on that as he grows up. I don't really want to have that subject being force-fed to him. I mean, what was the context, though? How is it being force-fed? Again, this was, like, second-hand, but, like, yeah. you know, it's kind of like, just, my thing, here's, I, go, I really just go back to this, just allow for kids to be innocent and to be kids. Having, you know, these these type of conversations, yes, does it happen in society? Yes. When it comes up to it, you can they can be aware of it, but it, I don't necessarily fully agree with, um, I don't fully subscribe to everything, I don't have a problem with anybody's anybody else's choices because I feel like it's an adult choice. And well, what's just, the, what's the choice? Uh, you know, whether or not they want to go down any any path they want. You know, uh, but uh, what, what, what path or anything like that? It could be, you know, they could be uh, gay or lesbian or whatever. That's, that's but that's are, you, are you are you thinking that's a choice? Well, not necessarily a choice, but you have you have a logic. I feel like you would have a better understanding of that as you get older and you have a better grasp of that. I have no problem. I, I feel like, you know, if you feel like you were of some, if you feel like you you identify as such, then that's then that's fine. But I feel like as a kid, I I would prefer them to have just a unique, just kid opportunity. Like we don't really subscribe to whether or not. You know, he's a boy or a girl or anything like that. It's just like, just go out and be a kid. Yeah, I hear, I hear that. Yourself. But I mean, I guess I guess what I get a little concerned about, though, is when a message of tolerance gets misconstrued or has other things attributed to it, like the idea or the implication that it's part of some sort of agenda or I think no. to use a term that you were saying to kind of um, put something down someone's throat. I mean, if if it's merely a message about an agenda, about excuse me about tolerance, then what's the harm? I mean, I, I can give you the same sort of example. Um, the the issue of someone being gay came up. I don't think it was in a TV show or a movie, but at my son's school, and he so then he used the word here at home, and I said, well, okay. You heard that today. What what does that mean? What did you what was the context you got? He said, Oh, well, you know, like, you know, you like women and you used to be married to mummy. It's like somebody likes a man instead of being I'm like, Oh, okay. Do you want to talk about it? Now I'm hungry and he like got a snack and then went out and played with his friends. Like it's not so I guess what I'm saying is if it's merely a message about tolerance and not something where it's actually like delving into adult sexuality, then who cares? I mean it actually good. Totally. Oh, go ahead. Finish your thought. No, no, no. I think I think my thought is in there, and and that's being, you know, very inclusive or or anything like that. Because here's my thought process: is just mm. growing up, I don't recall having any of that information. It could have been all that information could have been, you know, uh, through some level of induendo could have been put out in the in the program that we saw. But uniquely as a kid, you know, you had that opportunity to be a kid. Yes. Being inclusive and and things that are of that matter, I, I would I would expect out of any type of you know curriculum or organization mm -hmm. or anything like that. I personally wouldn't have have any issue with that. But like you know, I I grew up with you know obviously well Tom and Jerry is not the best example, but like <laughs> but you know like you yeah. you've seen those type of things like you've seen uh, like I mean I grew up with um, you know X Men where it was you know you were mutants and that was that was literally a fight to be inclusive, to be a part of everything. But I don't feel like it dove into 
the I didn't feel like it, it. I guess it's also a part of the way culture is interpreting it. And I think we're in a we're in a different, we're fundamentally in a different stage, in a fundamentally a different period of time and culture where certain things, you know, can be misconstrued. Even what I've just said, I could be completely shamed and and and, and pushed off of this podcast um, because of I I. I just has like, listen, I would just prefer not. I'm not saying that everyone should, you know, mm-hmm. it's in, in this day of like, you know, social media, it's everyone has a microphone, has something to say, and mm-hmm. you can't have a unique saying of that. And then you're going to be shamed about whatever you said, because that's just how you feel about it. That's not saying you're going to uh, prevent someone from doing whatever they want to do. You could do whatever you want, but this is ultimately mm-hmm. the way I I would prefer my child to be raised as, I, I am a kid. My mm-hmm. my job is to learn and to be, um, and to be and to be innocent. I, I, some of those things, like I had an appreciation, like I was saying earlier, it's just being a kid, going out, playing with your friends, playing basketball, riding your bike. It's like, why do we gotta like dive into these type of issues at you know four years old, five years old? I'm not saying you don't have to be inclusive or anything like that, but like it's really heavy. It's like it's like we're maturing our kids too quickly. And, like, just allow for them just to enjoy the moment of being a kid because it's so short. And being an adult is so hard and so heavy. It's like, why force it mm. so quickly right now? It's just like, just just relax, guys. I'm not saying, like, you can't say your own thing. Just, you know, allow the kids to be a kid. Like, you know, it's already, they already have instant, you know, gratification for everything. It's like, hey, I want to watch, you know, Paw Patrol right now. Guess what they can do? They can watch Paw Patrol right now. We didn't have that. We had to wait a week to watch our next programming. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, it's like, it, just give these, these kids have instant, uh, an ability to instantly find out information. We didn't have a Google when we were growing up. We had mm-hmm. Encyclopedia Britannica. That's what we had to figure out the world. All they have to do is Google search. Anything that they are curious about, and they'll probably find out about it. So, I mean, I've I've got a lot to say, but Larry, I know you 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 kind of bit your tongue there for a second, so I want to give you the the first no, pass here. No. I, I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed yeah. hearing take from from a parent and and going to hear take from another parent. Um, I, I think I inadvertently fell backwards into the most hot button topic going on in the in this country right now, outside mm-hmm. of maybe Trump, right? Um, and uh, you know. As someone who worked in the left, like I said this the beginning, for a long time, you know, I think I was one of probably one of the earliest people in my community who heard about the whole trans debate, um, which is not the same as you know, uh, gay conversation in in school, but it is part of that larger conversation. Um, and I remember you know talking to people about the whole trans uh, identity and and uh, how you introduce yourself to him, he, her. Thing. And I was thinking to myself, how are dudes in the hood gonna deal with this, right? Like, who's gonna tell them? And like, then if they don't get it, how do you, you know, like, that's always my first thought is like, how does a regular person take this piece of information in? Mm-hmm. And now we're here and it's like, oh, this is very interesting. Like, you could look on any IG post and you'll see the two worlds clashing, the people who live in this stuff and the people who peek their head and are like, what the hell is going on, you know? Yeah. Um, so I do think education for folks at a certain point, at a certain maturity is good, right? Um, because then 
you know, people understand each other better and, and understand, like, it's like, just like uh, understanding civil rights is important because we want to not forget that history, understand how we got here and why our country is so much better in some of these issues than Europe is right now, mm-hmm. even though we have a lot of work to do and, you know, there's a whole deep hole to fall into. Um, it's just a disconnect for the people in this country, the people who have spent their whole life educating themselves about the messed up stuff that's happened and the people who make a point not to learn. So in schools now, and particularly in the South and in a lot of the red states, that's the conversation. I don't want to hear at all about any of the oppression because it makes me feel bad and, you know, whiteness is under attack or whatever. And then what happens is gay marriage and, and gayness and trans issues get lumped into that. I don't necessarily agree that they're all in the same plane or belong in the same conversation. I mean, I do get particularly frustrated when people try to lump in gay issues with black issues, right? Because mm-hmm. even though they can be related, especially for back black gay people, they don't have the same history and there isn't the same set of issues because you can be gay and be racist. You can also be um, uh, a trans person and be racist, right? Um, so there, there is alignment because you can be a trans person and be black and then be experiencing both of those sets of oppression at the same time or however many sets of oppression. Um, mm-hmm. So I just, I think that there's a lot of complexity to this. And when we go back to the conversation, you know, if you go to the conversation around kids, I used to be told a lot about the whole like school thing and I didn't believe it. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, there's not like, it's not like they're coming into the school and like, you know, forcing stuff on your kids. And again, I always, because I'm now 35, I'm always comparing things to like, what was it like when I was a kid? And I realized things are just completely different than when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. In high school, we got like a sex ed class and they told us about the different parts of the body. This is what a man, this is menstruation for a woman, like things that are important for us to understand. And then there's a lot of stuff that I'll be honest, we should have learned in school that we did it. And therefore you just, you know, figure it right. out along. And so, but I think the debate, the, the, the important thing that's happening is the conversation about what should be within the parents' rights to choose that they learn in school versus what the school should be able to teach them. Mm-hmm. And that thing right there is, I think, an underrated piece of conversation because first I want to say in a place like Baltimore where I just moved from, I think it's like 80 for something crazy percent of the students can't read, can't write, don't know math, right? So in a school system like that, at what point, like, I'm talking priorities, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I feel like a lot of the schools in the United States are not even doing good on the basics, and then you want to mm-hmm. teach something that's like pretty freaking complex. Don't so we're talking about a limited, a limited number of hours a day, and then we have people coming from other countries who, frankly, African countries, Indian countries, you know, all, all these different places who are killing us. And we're arguing over something that really isn't like, a day-to-day thing for most people. So I'm just saying, like, I feel like we're getting caught. And my, I'm not saying that we should never learn about this stuff ever, ever. No. But right. I do think parents should have some degree of choice there. But then I think the debate becomes, do they also get to choose not to learn civil rights? Do but that's, well, that, and then that's, that's where the rubber hits the road, right? Because you can say all these things about how, well, the parents should have the choice. And that will never, just you know this politically, that will never play poorly in a room full of voters, full of parents at a school board meeting, whatever it is. That is how Glenn Youngkin quite literally won his election as governor in Virginia the last go around, was he basically said, like, no, 
Democrats over here want to have an agenda, teach it to your kids. I say free for all. You all do what you want. And that's how he won. And that's the rest is history. Right. But the thing is, is that it's it's. I know we keep on saying it's complicated. It Here's where it goes from complicated to really dicey because a lot of the same people who are going to the school board meetings and saying things like, I don't want my kid being, quote, unquote, indoctrinated. They are, like it or not, and I know you don't, are not only lumping together black history and the civil rights movement and the legacy of slavery with the gay rights movement but then also with the current trans rights movement, and it's all one big ball of wax, and there is no room for subtlety, there is no room for discussion, and there is just this this movement to, okay, if it's not about straight white people, we don't want it in the books in school, we don't want it, yep. and I mean, yep. let's be clear about this, this is not just in like Mississippi. I saw a headline, what was it, just two days ago now, where in Carroll County, Maryland, which is, you know, a more conservative place, but still as the crow flies, you know, only about, what, 40 miles out from Washington, D.C., there are already books being taken off the shelf in school libraries because these Moms Against Liberty, these far-right quasi-fascist organizations are writing in and demanding that not only that their individual, their own children do not get exposed to certain content and some learning, but that no one's children, no one is allowed to learn about this stuff in school. And, you know, I'm sorry, but one thing I have to push back on is I've heard this before about the idea of, well, we can't teach our kids to read and write at this level, yada, yada, yada. Therefore, there's no room or space to get into this stuff. And again, I have to sort of go back to what I was just saying there about these the people who are pushing this this right wing movement in schools. They're the ones who are going to lump these things together. We've already seen that 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 same critique right there about if we can't teach reading and writing at a basic level, we don't have time to teach these more complex issues. That was something that Nikki Haley said as a Republican candidate for president in the last GOP debate, I almost verbatim. And the thing is, two months ago, three months ago. It was that argument not about maybe gay issues or trans issues or sexuality writ large, but about literally about critical race theory, right? Critical race theory, this entire hysteria about that is BS to begin with because not only do you not learn that at elementary school, you wouldn't learn it in high school, you wouldn't learn it in college, you would learn it only in law school and even then only in certain law school courses. It was always a straw man argument to begin with. The issues about primary learning, about reading, writing, and all these sort of core learning things that, yes, other countries, if you look at not just news stories but the actual data, are frankly beating us at, those are really primary education issues. The issues about things like you know, sexuality and, and all those other things really are much more about secondary education, middle and high school. I mean, so I, I just – I don't mean to be – parsing here but i think it's sort of necessary because the problem is if we're not very clear about these things that's where sort of the the disinformation and the panic sets in where we're lumping together children children like your child's age martin with like you know a senior in high school and yes. we all know those <laughs> from personal experience those are very different things right we're at different points in life and development at the, those points um, I, I think parsing is good but let me just say something that I think is really important perspective-wise. Mm. For me, just because people who are extreme take something and they twist it, yeah. doesn't mean yeah. that something is a good, is not, that, it does not mean that something is not a good point. Mm. What I mean is I think that the Republicans, uh, a, a section of the Republicans to be particular about it, 
tend to be extreme. And then the left says, hey, let's be more extreme to counter their extremeness. And what happens as a result is that we don't have anybody making common sense points, right? And for me, there's not just people in that crowd who are um, right-wingers who are saying these things. There's people who are conservative or religious people from other mm -hmm. countries who have values that are not in alignment with secular values. So, you know, I think it's okay for people to have a different perspective and say they just don't support something for moral or religious reasons, mm -hmm. and then be able to say that they want to opt out of that. If they're saying, I don't want my child to learn this and I want to be able to opt out, and if other, kid, other parents want to learn it, that's fine. I think that that's a fair thing to say. But I, I think we, we have a knee-jerk reaction as leftists and as progressive people to automatically say, because the, the right wing is saying this, like, what, even if you're not being knee-jerk about it, you're, you, I'm not talking about you either particularly, Christian. I'm yeah, just yeah, saying yeah, what yeah. I observe is that, I, and, and I think I'm looking at my own self about this, right? Because the past few years I've been evolving in how I look at these things. Mm -hmm. I think that we tend to see the the terrible on the horizon, and then we miss a lot of people who are the regular people in the middle mm -hmm. who might actually agree with the point that we're making. Mm -hmm. Because we're actually thinking about the worst-case scenario. And it, mm -hmm. here's the thing. The right wing will go and look at all those people in the middle, mm -hmm. and they make an argument that just appeals to them. They're not mm -hmm. thinking, they're not even talking about the left. Some of them talk mm -hmm. about Antifa, whatever. But yeah. they'll make the argument that appeals to the people in the middle. And as a mm -hmm. result, they're willing to overlook all the racists and crazy right. things. But I think that's like, I think this is where we, we agree fervently because I think it, even having this conversation, I mean, yes, it is important to parse some of these issues that are very complicated and very touchy. But the fact that we're even having them in the first place is exactly for that reason. It's because these people who are, frankly, bad actors they are going for those people who are not part of the conversation, right? Whether they call themselves in the middle or unaffiliated or apolitical or whatever, right? But they do that by creating panic over something that is a non-issue, right? Like, yes, is there – because this is kind of coming up like with some of the things in the last episode of the podcast with other guests. But the idea of like are there things like drag brunches? Do those exist? Sure, um, are those happening at your kid's public, like, first grade class? No, and they never were. But that's kind of the thing that I'm saying is that, yes, you can say that someone who has a more conservative position makes a point and it can be valid and worth discussing. But when there is so much panic and exaggeration and, frankly, falsehoods injected into the conversation about fears and risks that, are, are not there or not as big as they are made out to be, sorry, my dogs are getting restless, um, then at that point, the even having the conversation about it gives it a validity that it frankly hasn't earned. All right, but if, if I'll, use one, I'll use an example here. Yeah. And Martin, feel free to jump in if you want to here. But um, if there is a, let's say there's a conservative family uh, from Kenya mm -hmm. and they just moved to Maryland. Mm-hmm. And they object to something like uh, brunch at a public library. Uh, uh, um, they're brunches, right? A drag brunch. Well, yeah, I mean, they have they happen at like bars and different like cafes and stuff. I mean, yes, they're not but, like but they're not obligatory things that public school students are dragged to by the teachers. Yeah. Like that's not a but, thing. But I'm not I'm not talking about schools right now. I'm specifically talking about uh, the the drag reading hours because I know that that's happened in Maryland. It was like a whole big thing. So let's say there's a conservative Kenyan family, and they're like, we don't mm -hmm. like the drag reading to kids thing, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the left is going to approach that by saying, 
typically they're going to say you're fascist, you know, this is this is playing into the or you're playing into the hands of the fascists. And, you know, we can't have that. So we're going to have 300 of these things and we're going to do it even more, right? And then the right's response would be like, you know, look at the leftist Antifa agenda and the way they're trying to push us towards socialism or what they'll make up some things. Mm. And then what's forgotten in this whole conversation was the original family and, you know, what they thought about it and what they felt and like having an actual right. conversation right. with them and saying, you know, this is this is what's trying to be accomplished by that. And I think that that happens over and over and over where you have now a political process where you have Biden versus Trump. Most people think Biden's too old to be in office. Trump is going to be, if he's the president, running the country from jail. And then you have hundreds of millions of us who don't want either one of these scenarios. Don't get me started on either one of them. <laughs> right. And neither one of the parties gives a flying fuck as long as they win. Right. Nobody does. So, and I, that, that's the point that I'm making here is that, like, I just think that, like, the average person is not being heard on in any level. And when you mm -hmm. do have a conversation with them, we do find out that most of us are pretty similar. It sounds cheesy to say that, but I mean. No, it's I, true. It's true. Yeah. But I mean, I think the just just to jump in really quickly before uh, Martin, before you get in, is just the fact that, like, yes, I think there's a ton of people who would universally agree. But like if we were not in this hyper partisan setting where one disinformation reigns all but supreme and two there's either a or b and nothing in between or no other alternatives whatsoever like the that scenario that one case study or example you gave all of a sudden like you said there's the there's the piling on effect right like this side's going to latch onto this private issue and make it a public issue and this side's going to like re all that happening when at the end of the day in a free country where there are things activities that are optional like that that family could just stay home and not go to the thing right like there there wouldn't be the need for the entire huge public conversation were it not for that making something out of it to generate clicks for you know different web series were it not for ad revenue on cable tv shows like there's there's sort of an outrage economy an outrage market here that takes things like that like a, a possible real world example like you just gave larry and then makes it into like, well, you're a fascist, well, fuck, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, no, 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 you're talking about people over here who are not, not even part of this duality, and making it into something that becomes all about, you know, feeding the outrage. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I can hear that. I, I think I think in the school scenario, you know, to be fair, the the, the argument is really about these books, and some mm -hmm. of the books actually show sex acts whether they're gay, straight, or whatever. And so then it becomes, what do you do when you're in a school and you have access to that book? Um, I actually had to look into some of these books because I was like, I couldn't believe that they would actually have a book that actually demonstrated in cartoon form people having sex, but it actually is a thing. So like, I mean, that to me is a serious discussion that actually should be had between the teachers and the administrators. And it ends up just being this big, huge public fight as opposed to some sort of orderly process for figuring out what kids should have access to, you know? Like, are we talking, like, middle school that these are in? I, I guess, because I grew up in a... In like a middle school, yeah. Yeah, like, I grew up in a, in a, in a private Catholic, um, yeah. you know, school. So you're kind of like, I, I personally, I, I can't, um, not necessarily sympathize, but I can't realize that, because it's kind of like, it was already kind of pretty sterile in terms of what they, you know, they gave you the classics and things like that, but outside of that, um, I mean, th those are the merits of, you know, either uh, private education versus public education. But um, 
I don't recall having any of those type of conversations. Like we had, you know, you know, you know sex conversations later on. I mean, we we're talking seventh, eighth type of grade where, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these body changes were starting to occur. So they're like, all right, well, we got to answer these questions because these kids are getting rowdy with all their hormones and such, you know, yeah, in Catholic schools. <laughs> You know, oh God! You guys, you gotta keep the Holy Ghost in between you guys. You're dancing that old thing, you know. But I haven't heard that that expression in a long um, time. But like, I mean, those are so I, I can't fully wrap my head around some of the the issues because, I mean, though I feel like the education that I and I, lo- I do love my my um my old alma mater, my 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 uh middle school and things like that mm-hmm. and I, I felt like they they did give like a wholesome it wasn't stale but it gave it a good foundation to then kind of springboard me into the areas that i want like i I'd never thought i would have explored it as deeply as i did uh, as i did during that period of time that was my foundation like i that's when i saw my first computer was at this school mm-hmm. i you know and I was like, I am curious. Like, how do we, how do we figure this out? Like, how do we figure this out? Like, yeah. how do we make this work? But yeah. I mean, but, th- but, but regardless, like those are the type of things that I feel like, you know, education kind of provides from that perspective. Like these are, these are real issues. I'm not even saying like, they're not real issues that kids should not learn about or anything like that, but it should be learned in these kind of pods of, of learning. You know, like, obviously, like we said, you know, the difference between a four-year-old and a 16-year-old are quite different. Well, that's, I mean, I have the same question that you have. I mean, to me, the the age question, the context is everything, right? Because, I mean, I I look at, like, okay, could there be diagrams, pictorial representations, whatever, fine. For an 18-year-old who's doing those things anyway, I could not care less. But, like, that's very different than if you're talking about in a school library for, like, you know, kindergarten through third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. Like, that's – and and that's the thing, and that's why I really raise an eyebrow to any assertions like that without some more subtlety. Because frankly, we've had a, a different scandal of uh, similar flavor every couple of months this entire past year. We, and I go back to the issue of, of critical race theory as being sort of the first big one, right, that really one right wing podcaster sort of started and it caught fire where it's like, well, they're teaching kids this. Well, when he says kids, what he really means is 23 year old law students, not three year olds. Right. So, like, I still have that same question. Like, what? What's the context? What's the age we're talking about? You know, that to me, until we know that, it's sort of, again, it, it it's a topic that that spurs conversation and spurs outrage. But like, is it worth the conversation absent having sort of that kind of important context? Yeah. I no, I agree. No, I absolutely agree. Did you guys see the the article I shared with you about the uh, uh, the Sean Penn quote, kind of tying all these things together here? I think so. Yeah. Oh, so AI. Yeah. So basically, let me just uh, I'm going to pull this up on my phone for our listeners, because this was some if we want some genuinely weird stuff. This was uh, this was weird. So this was um, in a <laughs> so this was about the issue of this also includes the union topic too, Larry. This is all bringing it all together. Um, so this was Sean Penn, the actor, talking about the the ongoing strikes and 
uh, especially SAG-AFTRA, the actors' union's concern about studios wanting to use artificial intelligence. And in previous headlines, it's come out that, that executives have wanted to do things like have contracts in which actors would show up for maybe a day's work during which they would speak, they would move around, they'd do a full body scan, 360 degrees, imprint their voice, and basically download everything that makes someone look and sound the way they do, right? Um, with, of course, the idea then being using AI studios could make an actor, whether they're even still alive yet or not, say and do whatever they want to in a, in a movie or a TV role, right? Um, so... According to USA Today, the actor added that the studio's suggestions for AI represents a lack of morality. Um, I guess the original interview was in Variety, um, and his retort to industry executives, for those who have not read this, this gem, is, um, and I quote, just to be clear, I'm quoting this, so you want my scans and voice data and all that. Okay, here's what I think is fair. I want your daughters because I want to create a virtual replica of her and invite her and my friends over to do whatever we want in a virtual party right now. Would you look at the camera and tell me you think that's cool? Um, weird example, arguably gross example. What do you guys think, though? Is there something to that where we cross this threshold with technology where it's not just taking – Maybe someone's labor or someone's intellectual property, but who they are physically, who they are audibly, who they are as what we think of as a person. Yeah, I mean, my first thought is Sean Penn is still very strange to me. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The fact that that was his first example, I, I can see if in a conversation he got to that point, but like he went straight. But there's an intelligence to weirdness. There's there's a level of, you know, I know he, he can be somewhat weird, but like, yeah. But that's that's that that's kind of the the thought process behind kind of like even Sean Penn, because he's he, he's weird. But I guess that's what makes you who you are. It's it's just who he is. But like, is he wrong about what he's saying? No, actually, mm. he's not really wrong. It just sounds really, if you will, kind of hyperbolic. But like it's 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 not. It's you can literally do that right yeah. now. You have to obviously it's it's through a lot of rehearsal. But like yeah. you can literally, if, if we were just wanted to say, hey, listen, let's just have someone AI generate this podcast and mm -hmm. mimic everything that all the all the gestures and facial expressions that we all make commonly. Uh, yeah, that can actually happen. I mean, they're literally. I mean, I, I, the thing is, is I, I kind of work slightly within that arena. You'll you'll have a conversation where you can give out um, videos, like personalized uh, videos of me just changing up the name, and all I'm doing is really just typing in the person's name or hmm. customizing and personalizing, where it still has my gestures, still has me saying the name and mm -hmm. forming the words with my mouth and all this other stuff, mm -hmm. where. What he's saying isn't necessarily far-fetched. Mm -hmm. um, and then down to the AI-generated, you know, uh, screenplays. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's He's not necessarily wrong, especially if you put in the right type of information input. Mm -hmm. You know, the, you know the, the screenwriters, I get it. I understand why there is a level of fear there because, you know... 
even in my business, I need to generate an email. I'll be like, hey, I need to generate an email to this person talking about this. 30 seconds later, it's generated it for me. And I'm like, ah, all right, cool. Let me change a couple of words. Right. But, like, it's kind of the same here. It's like, hey, we can just change. This person's been dead for 20 years. Let's bring him back, AI version. Like, oh, oh my goodness, there's this guy out on YouTube that literally yeah. he'll redo, like, old hip-hop songs, but with, like, um, like Hank Williams. Like, oh, yes, I've seen those. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it is spot, or, or Frank Sinatra. And it's yes, <laughs> yes. And it's yes. scary. Yeah. You know? It's when scary, I, when yeah. I, when I heard Tupac rapping Biggie's lyrics and vice versa, I was just like, this is crazy. I mean... The ones I saw was purely just that. It was like old dead white guys doing the lyrics to hit. And you're like, oh. And like the caption would be like, there, I ruined it for you. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and, and like yeah. I found, I found, I was like, hey, listen, if they can do that just with voices, they're getting pretty close to it in terms of just the visual aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but voices, I mean, there's actually singers out there now that are like, hey, listen, I have, I'm going to copyright my voice. Right. They're copywriting their voice in order for them to be hey, you can use my, my voice for anything, but I'm going to get my, you know, my royalties from it. Right, And right. I, I think if you're going to be savvy in any shape or form, which is why I think some of these actors are doing what they're doing, it's like, listen, cool, if you want to take my scan, that's cool, but I'm going to get paid every time you put me up there and my family's going to get paid in perpetuity. Right, right. Well, that's kind of what I wanted to, to put to both of you, honestly, is if we can get past Sean Penn's weirdness and the kind of, Per, well, not kind of pervy example he used to make his point. Like underneath that weirdness, is there a really deeply important point to be made? Because I think about that too. Like, you know, the law is always so far behind technology. It's like, okay, do we now need to have a new process, contractual, intellectual property, all of that, such that if somebody does consent, and consent being a key term here, to having their likeness be completely digitized to be repurposed and reworked by machines in the future perhaps even beyond their own natural lifetime like what what rights do they have to then make sure that they and then their descendants are fairly compensated for that i'm actually not too worried i mean i think all that's coming they're going to have to evolve the copyright and patenting standards to you know catch up with the technology um, and they'll do it fast just like they did with Napster and BearShare and LimeWire and Morpheus and all these other technologies that we had now we have Apple and you know these two or three other things and and I would argue that you know technology kind of ruined the whole music industry because at one point it was too expensive and now it's just too disparate same thing with movies and all the streaming services and, and all the licensing that comes around that but um I think I'm more concerned about the lack of creativity um, and, you know, even with the writing and stuff like that, it's like, it's just very formulaic yeah. and even though AI is good at popping stuff out, a lot of times if you look at it, it's just very formulaic what it puts out. Um, I had an argument with, with, with being AI where I was trying to explain something to it um, that it had completely wrong, two separate, it was, it was making one person two separate people based on this, mm. based on two threads of work this person had done in their life. Yeah. Right? And because those apparently were different threads, oh, no, these are two pe- two different people. I was like, well, here's some proof. No, that's not enough proof. You still didn't prove it. And this went on for about 35, 45 minutes, and then it literally said, this conversation is over, and the app just stopped working. Then I logged on to the app the next day, and it was like, oh, yeah, no, it's the same person. Like it always knew. 
So, I mean, I worry more about the AI, like, just not cooperating, doing whatever the hell it wants, being fed uh, incorrect information. The, on the creativity stuff, I mean, creativity goes through ups and downs of crappiness. I think hip-hop is at an all-time low right now. Um, it might as well have been, been made by AI for the last five or six years. Five or six? <laughs> I, I think we can go a little bit farther back than that. I'm not an expert by, by any means, but... <laughs> oh, I mean, you know... People are beating up on the female rappers because a lot of the garbage. But I mean, just across the board, male, female, it's it's all bad. And but I, but I think when it when it comes to the intellectual pursuit, I get worried. Like people, are they going to put any effort into their book? I mean, right now, I'll use it if I get stuck on a line or just like, okay, this is really like, you know, I saw um, like if I have a a line that I just sounds crappy. There's nothing like putting AI, but half the time it's still not any better and it's way too formal and you can make prompts to make it more casual or whatever. So I find it, I know the text is going to continue to get better and evolve or whatever, but I saw uh, Lupe Fiasco did a collaborative song with the AI where he literally would give it a line and like, like he, he's a, he's a scientist nerd in that way. And it, I guess it depends on your personality. I've always been a purist. So in, in, in the case of hip hop, if you're a rap artist and you're collaborating, you're not writing that shit by yourself in a cave with a candle, I don't think you're legit, right? But not everybody's like that. Some people say, <laughs> you're four or five people and they show you lines or whatever on some Drake shit where people are like ghostwriting for each other. But I'm a purist. Yeah. You got to have a candle or it's nothing. And so for me, I don't, I'm not very excited about the AI future, but I think most people, because most people are lazy, they're completely fine mm. with it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of scary, though, because, you know, the the way that it's learning, too, I, mean, I don't know if you've seen this as well, but, like, you talked about sort of the, the AI being fed, quote-unquote, the wrong information, um, and there is a lawsuit. I'm not sure if it's being just started, if it has been filed yet or not, I'm not sure, but um, a lot of the plaintiffs, I believe it's a class action, if I'm not mistaken, I read this some time ago, um, the plaintiffs are uh, authors, and I think there might be a similar one, or maybe they're going to combine. I have no idea. This is all very new, but there might be some for visual artists as well. But in any event, the authors, what they're talking about is the fact that these companies that are you know, making the money off of their AI inventions took their original works made by humans and used that for the machine learning, like took that to feed to these different predictive text models, the chat GPTs and all those sort of things that then gives them the ability to then predict text and write what you want it to um, all but instantaneously. And their argument is like, well, if we were going to be part of this experiment, like where's our cut basically? And in one really egregious example that I saw, I think it was in The Guardian a few weeks ago, was one author found not only had her work been used for the machine learning, but someone then used that machine's learning of her original work to then produce cheap knockoffs that were then just being mass produced and sold on Amazon. And I guess then there's sort of like two questions, right? Like one, should you have the ability, if you are a creator, whether you're whatever, a rapper, a singer, a writer, a painter, it doesn't really matter. Like, should you have the rights to be able to opt out of being included in any of that? Mm -hmm. And then two, if you're not, or if you do decide to opt in, what's your cut? Because let's be real, like these things, someone's making their money, right? <laughs> someone's getting paid to, to produce all of this. So where does that come into it? You know what's funny? I mean, uh, Martin may have a better perspective of this having been a little bit connected to the industry, but 
I think of AI as a um, sort of a parser in the same way Google is. Mm -hmm. I can go Google a PDF of War and Peace, mm -hmm. right? And I guess technically I could put up some uh, DMCA notices and make them remove it, but there's millions of websites that will just repost it or I can always find it somewhere else, you know? So I think of AI in that way as well. There's now, there's like, what, three or four big AI platforms? Soon as there's mm -hmm. millions of them. Yeah. So I, th I look at it more of as a technical challenge than a legal one because I think if you put up a notice right now, you probably could get your stuff removed, but it'd probably be a pain in the ass, you know? Well, that's a good point. Yeah, even if you did have the legal notice, like who's going to actually get around to cleaning your stuff off of all these different places? Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a technical aspect for it. I mean, because I could see, you know, in cases like Larry kind of mentioned as like, all right, I need it, I need it as like kind of like a helper for right. certain things. Like I use it. Like if I'm writing an email, I'm like, I just, I, I'm just going through it. I'm having a, a bit of writer's block. I'm like, all right, I need to write me an email that states I need to talk about X, Y, and Z. And it'll do it, and I'm like, all right, cool. I got a good starting point, and I can use that as a template to go somewhere else. Right. And I think that's, I think, I think sometimes people kind of get, um, if I if I kind of go with this part, almost Orwellian, like, okay, every everyone's going to get, you know, the AI, the robots are going to take over. Uh, mm -hmm. It's going to be the Matrix and Terminator, all that <laughs> stuff combined, you know, and that's that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, is there a possibility? Yes. Being in IT, there's always, you know, there's a technical term that we use that's frequently used, which is should. It should not. But I'm not saying it's not going to happen or it's not a possibility. You're, you're making me think of Jeff Goldblum's line there in the original Jurassic Park. Yep. Like, just because you can. Yeah. yeah. I think, um, okay, let's look at it this way. There's always a worse actor in anything. Mm -hmm. Right. So we look at the nuclear bomb. The only reason why the whole world hasn't been destroyed is because of the threat of, you know, equal destruction. And certain states don't have it, that it will be worth it for them to actually use it. So if, if, a, if a bad actor decided to build this evil AI that, uh, you know, has no controls on it, uh, and just becomes like the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, The Terminator, <laughs> whatever that one was called in that movie, I, I think it's definitely possible. But what's the solution to that? We just don't develop it? Because most of these things are always developed for military use. Like the internet was initially developed by military use first. So I think the worst case scenario is that some state doesn't have any sort of concern for what could potentially happen. And then they do it and it gets loose, just like with COVID. We, pretty much know that it was something created in the lab. And this is government saying this now, so this isn't a conspiracy theory anymore, but something that probably escaped. You know, maybe it was something that was from a market that was being tested on and it somehow either intentionally or accidentally likely accidentally escaped a lab in China or whatever. And I think that that's probably the worst case scenario, that somebody creates an AI without guardrails on it and it just gets so smart that, you know, it just decides it doesn't need us anymore. Well, the, the I mean, scary part is, I mean, the scary part is, I mean, even if there are guardrails put into place, it's not to say that, hey, listen, it hasn't decided, almost like in a um, iRobots type of fashion, like, all right, you know, we, we removed those guidelines because you're actually being more of a, a detriment to your own person mm -hmm. because that's the way we feel 
about you know again you start you're starting to talk about things where it starts recognizing you know the way we recognize tendencies and uh, and things like that it's it's going to start recognizing those things in a way um, with Larry's illustration it it said oh, all right I got it wrong several times but then it mm-hmm. learns and says you know what you were right it is one person it's not two it's not you know two people so I think we're going to get to a point as it starts evolving it's going to have an understanding of it but it's also it could also be non-human irrational as what you would see out of the matrix where it's kind of like no we're doing this as a benefit to you but now because you're no longer a benefit to us the only thing that we can leverage you as is for energy but even before we get down that road i mean because martin this is much more your your wheelhouse than mine i i I know we went to like the worst case scenario there but like from what i've and my reading on this has been very limited i don't use ai for anything um in fact in my line of work i have to very often sign off on statements um swearing that i have not used ai for the production of the work that i'm submitting um because my work does end up in newspapers and other publications it has to be certified as being original and not ai (laughs) yeah not ai well i mean probably it's being scooped up by ai it's been been, been, yeah so some some yeah some some douchebag in california has probably made some money off of mimicking yeah exactly and and saying it's just it's just part of like the evolution of stuff bro have some kombucha yeah exactly um but so what from what i have watched and read and which has been limited like i said what we're talking about at least so far right now in 2023 that we know about publicly anyway really isn't ai that we think of in sort of the science fiction movie context but really much more predictive language predictive models things like that where it's it's being able it's sort of like an automatic content generator based off of machine learning of human content but we're nowhere near anything resembling cognition right Yes or no? Uh, actually, there was an article that came out, um, and don't quote me wrong, I may be wrong here, but I believe it was a, a Google engineer who quit because Google, their AI, their version of AI had went uh, rogue and mm-hmm. was self-aware. And so they ended up getting, I think, sued by Google for releasing this information. So mm-hmm. there are some versions of this that have actually gotten to that point but they haven't talked about it publicly. I have to find an article about that. I'll put no, it in I, yeah, I recall reading that too, but I thought that that was still debatable whether or not that was credible. Because I, I did hear other other stories too, not just the Google one, but there was a guy at a different, different company where he thought that like the AI was falling in love with him or something. Or I, I don't remember. Maybe I'm mixing up stories in my head here. But Well, the title is The Fired Google AI, Google Engineer who mm. thought its AI could be sentient, says Microsoft's chatbot feels like watching a train wreck happen in real time. So the, the phrase is sentient. Oh, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. I like, I like Martin, how you referenced uh, The Matrix, which of, which, of course, you know, the first chapter of that starts in 1999. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, yeah, it's 2023, and I don't know what you guys think, but uh, yeah, I think we're on the wrong timeline already. Like that ship has already sailed. Uh, the things that have gone, they could go, go, could have gone wrong. Excuse me, that that's already started. 
<laughs> but, yeah, but Martin, what do you think? I mean, is there something to that, though? Because I, I am curious because I, I understand what sort of the worst-case scenario could be. I understand the fears of, of that. But what we have for the most part right now, at least what has come out publicly, save the example of, of the, the Google engineer, isn't it mostly right now a tool for sort of predictive content generation, or is that missing the point? I mean, I would say for the for um, for the public for commercial use, it's yeah. mainly for that predictive side. Okay. Um, but for other uses, um, you know, I won't dismiss any type of military use for that mm-hmm. type of that, that side of it all. Um, we just we don't necessarily know because obviously there's a lot of things behind but behind doors, but. Obviously, mm-hmm. if you could generate something that is um, that can be quickly, uh, quickly under like a quick a quick understanding of things. I mean, actually, even in in the world right now, you have uh, people that do have uh, video doorbells. Mm-hmm. You know, simple things like that, where now right. these doorbells can identify individuals. I mean, it's actually more used right. in China, where you can identify people. Like right. case in point, like uh, there are doorbells out that can identify if you are a resident of that home or if you are a, a person from Amazon, um, mm-hmm. it can recognize those things and then it can report it to whatever agency that you need it to. That's actually uh, what the whole um, uh, the ring neighborhoods thing is. They can leverage mm-hmm. that. And they're now asking you know people that own these devices whether or not they can uh, have a sign-off and saying, hey, yeah, you can use my cameras, especially in like rural areas. They're like they're asking people, hey, if you got a camera, if you don't mind, if there's something that goes goes down in the neighborhood, so to speak, do you mm-hmm. mind if we use your footage? Right. You know, and mm-hmm. identify people. I mean, uh, it's already yeah. occurring in you know Europe and in China yeah. even, even more, where you can, I think actually in Korea, it's actually even crazier um, because it's like you can even get, um, and I was reading an article about it, you can almost get like shamed if you committed like adultery and they identified you and. And some camera said, oh, that's you. Yeah. That's so-and-so over there. Oh, you did that. Oh, well, you're also going to be public shamed on this 50-foot, uh, you know, yeah. billboard and say, yeah, this yeah. is the adulterer right here. You know, where it hey, just, I recall seeing that in China. Yeah. 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 And, um, but, you know, it, it can go in either direction. Yeah. But um, it all depends on how it's really implemented in, in any civilization. Right. To you guys, but... Um, I mean, that's kind yeah. of the thing, right? Like, I yeah. can see how, like, you know, you can kind of go like, oh, that's that's funny. The guy who cheated on his wife, like, he got what was coming to him. But you can imagine instantaneously all the other implications. Yeah, of, the social could, impact. Could, could the social impact, could there also be instances where someone creates a falsified version of that, saying that, like, oh, someone did something they did not actually do, and then use both the AI to, to produce that you are Right, exactly, to, like, make someone, and that's kind of the crazy thing. Right, 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 right. That's kind of the crazy thing. Um, yeah, I mean, although I will say, at least for right now, at least before we've gotten to that point in this country, the, the funny example of, of that, of sort of the, the recognition using a ring camera that I saw uh, on social media over the weekend was a guy who was a Star Trek fan posted about how he could not get into his house right away because he had it set up where it was like, connected with his lock like to identify him to let him in and instead of reading his face the camera read the klingon on his t-shirt the face of the klingon character from the tv show it was screen printed onto the front of his t-shirt i'd be remiss if i didn't say i mean i feel like we're entering the era of nobody i mean we're pretty much already there 
and this this is weirdly related to our conversation about extremes, right? Mm-hmm. I think we're in an era where nobody believes anything. Oh and yeah. As annoying, you know, as, yeah. as annoying as the whole fake news thing Trump came up with, everybody uses that, right, left, mm-hmm. whatever. So if it's something we don't like, it's literally fake news, you know, just because the other side said it. So mm-hmm. that's the thing that's very concerning to me is that you know now, you know, the verifiable truth is going to yeah. be a very important thing. If we can't even agree on basic facts, yes, yeah. Martin Luther King was a religious leader in the South in the 1950s and 60s who did X. Like, that, these are basic facts that we can't even agree on anymore, and it's a yeah. very concerning place to be. Yeah, no, it is. And, and perhaps that's where we should leave it. I'll tell you that I, um, I had for some research I did on the book I'm writing, I actually spoke with a professor who that's his entire field of study is sort of um, not just cognitive dissonance, but basically the fact that like not only do people go out and search stories and ideas and things that are going to reinforce what they already think and feel to make themselves feel good rather than to learn more and expand their their comfort zone. But then what you just said, Larry, it's like, well, if it does not then conform the incoming information with what I already want to think and feel, it is disregarded out of hand. I never even grapple with the discomfort of something new. It's just, it's out. Can't even think about it. Can't talk about it. So, yeah, that's going to be, I think, one of the uh, defining things of our time. Well, that and along with, you know, climate change, artificial intelligence. I, I, I don't know. It's it's getting late. Um, <laughs> TikTok influencers. TikTok influencers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, Larry, Martin, thank you both for doing this today. It's been an amazing conversation. I know this is just going to be the first of many, but thank you both for doing this today. Really appreciate it. Of course. Had a great time. Uh, Excellent. No, so did I. It was fantastic. It's always uh, great to fellowship with friends. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll do it again. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, guys. Cheers, guys. Thank you.